Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Andrea. We are bringing you the Real Moms Real Life Podcast, your guide to self-empowerment and taking on each day as your best self. This is episode number 60. Today, Andrea and I are talking about fostering the value of independence. Let us know if there are any topics you would like to hear. Don't forget, all of the resources on this podcast are meant for information purposes only and not to be confused for medical advice or treatment. Hey, Andrea. Hey, Beth. How are you? I am good. I uh, actually, I, I know that we skipped last week because you lost your voice and it's still barely coming back. I also had an episode where I kind of lost my voice and I was like, maybe I got it from Andrea. Oh, wait, she lives across the country. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, definitely something going around these days. But how are you doing? I mean, mine is sounding terrible. Sorry, guys. I, uh, I feel fine. I just like had really bad sore throat for like a day. And then it went away, like the soreness, but it, my voice just has not come back. And it's been a full, or almost a full week now. This evening will be a full week, so. Yeah. I mean, you probably should take a full day of rest, but we needed to get a podcast in, so. Exactly. It was funny. I feel like I was like, oh, I should probably not talk as much. And I think I managed to talk more than, like, I ever have in this past week. I'm like, I'm just not good at not talking. I like to talk. <laughs> I, I I feel you completely and 100%. It's really hard not to talk for me. Yeah, I don't do well. But whatever, I feel okay. So, awesome. And my kid, that was the big thing is I was so scared Remy was going to get it because my throat hurt so bad. And I was like, oh my God, he's going to be so miserable. But no one else seems sick, just me. So that's good. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I that's always, I think, the fear. My husband has a pretty bad cold right now. And I, he probably got it from the older one. Um, but you know, I'm always like, don't let's not get the baby sick because it's hard enough to, you know, deal with sleep and naps when, and then when she gets a stuffy nose, I just feel so bad for the little mm -hmm. ones. Yeah, exactly. So. so this week we are following up with our values conversation from last week where we talked about some of our own personal values and how to kind of come across what values are really important to you for when you're raising your children. And one of the values we wanted to focus on was independence. And actually, when Andrea and I were planning this episode, she said, you know, we need to talk about an independent child versus an independent thinker. And as soon as she said that, I realized that when Andrea and I are talking about raising independent children, I'm pretty sure one of us is doing one and one of us is doing the other. So I want to hear what her thoughts are on this and um, and kind of see where we are kind of going from there. Yeah, it was a kind of an aha moment for me of like, whoa, those are actually two like kind of very different things and very different values. And um, so I think to start out defining what independence means for you and what you want it to mean for your kid is important. Like which parts of the independent definition do you want? Because an independent thinker is, you know, going to be a kid who can think for himself, you know, someone tells them what to do and they are able to analyze it. And you know, obviously at an older age, this is, you know, once they get there that they are teaching them how to analyze something and, and really, you know, think about it before they just carry it out. I mean, Let's just talk about the like obvious, you know, scrolling through Facebook and you read an article like, oh, my God, did you hear about this? Which I totally have a tendency to do sometimes. And my husband's like, did you actually like fact that check that? Did you go and analyze who wrote it? What is their bias behind it? 
And so now I've become a whole lot better about it. And it's funny because I always did that to other things. But for some reason, Facebook, I was like, oh, let me just trust whatever's posted on Facebook, which is dumb. So I don't do that anymore. Um, but, you know, just little things like that, like just because a doctor tells you to do something, like, do you go and like research it for yourself? And it doesn't mean you have to be against their opinion. It's just making sure you have your own opinion about it, too. Um, and then, you know, there's just the independence and caring for themselves. I think that's what a lot of people think about first and foremost when they're thinking about kids. It's like, can they get dressed? Can they eat themselves? Can they make their own meals? Can they do their own chores, you know, as they're getting older? Um, but I think the other part of the definition that needs to be talked about is, is one, one piece of the definition, if you look it up, is not relying on others. And I think this part of the value of independence has become a problem and why so many moms feel a way we do and feel like we're the only ones doing anything and, you know, feel like we don't have help. And I think part of it is, is brought upon ourselves and like, and that we were taught to be independent. So we don't know how to ask for help. Um, we don't, you know, we, we kind of feel like asking for help or not being able to do anything completely independently makes us somehow less than, you know, because we were, I think many of us were probably raised to be independent in a way of like not rely on others. So I think this is where just understanding that piece of it is so important because I think you absolutely can value independence and can value self-reliance, but also be able to emphasize asking others for help and, you know, that it's okay to ask others for help which we're not going to go into in this episode because we're talking about independence, but just be aware of like when you are kind of teaching this value or, or modeling pieces of independence that, you know, asking for help isn't modeling bad behavior or is it model, you know, not modeling independence. Like you can model it in many other ways. So just something to be aware of and something I wanted to point out. Absolutely. And, and I, I think that it is really important to, to clarify those two. And I will say that, you know, a lot of times when, when I, my husband and I talk about independence, it is self-sufficiency that we're looking for in our child. And, and it's not necessarily not being able to ask for help. But, you know, so, you know, I think I've talked about going to the, like the potty thing has been a battle since, you know, the, for the past two and a half years, it's been a battle. And, and she will, you know, will say, hey, you know, it's time to go to the bathroom and she'll say no. And then she'll fight and they'll scream and all these things. And about 10 minutes later, she'll and we'll say, well, you know, you really have to go. Well, I wanted someone to come with me. And, you know, the thing is, she doesn't have to go by herself. We are happy to go with her to the bathroom, but we also need her to understand and know that she needs to ask us that right away. She needs to say, hey, you know what? I don't like going to the bathroom by myself. Will you come with me? Absolutely. She is 100% allowed to ask for help, but she needs to, that, that's part of her like self-sufficiency is being able to ask for help right away and not wait until it's too late. Um, so, so that's definitely, but I will, I will say that for, you know, the focus of the past four years has definitely been more on self-sufficiency. And uh, I think that they can go hand in hand a little bit. I think that when you are fostering some self-sufficiency, you are fostering independent thinking because when they are a little bit more self-sufficient, they have to think for themselves. So I don't think you can have one without the other and, and you can definitely do a little bit of both. But, you know, going back to that value conversation, 
making your decisions in a way, you just really want to be clear on, on what your focus is. Totally. And I think a way to value that independent thinking piece is to, is to point it out. You know, it's, you know, okay, I don't want to go to the bathroom. All right. It's like, what's going on there that you don't want to go, you know, like kind of make them question their own like initial instinct of not wanting to go to the bathroom. And that's going to help them with that. And I think also, you know, my kid does not talk yet, but when we get to the why stage and whatnot, you know, trying to avoid, again, I can't speak for this myself yet because we're not there, the whole like, because I said so, or like that, ever, you know, being the, the consistent reason, because I think that that takes that away. It's like, okay, someone of authority said so, and therefore that's what has to be done. It's like taking the time to explain, and it does not mean need to be every single time, okay, but, you know, taking the time to explain why something is done a certain way and entertaining those questions um, and, and valuing those questions and appreciating them, even though I already know that they're probably going to get annoying. Um, but it's, again, a value of mine, so it's something that I'm going to have to deal with since I want to value that. And I just want to add um, kind of a, because it piggybacks really well onto that. So one of the things that we've, we've been trying to teach my daughter is if we say no or we tell her not to do something, she is always allowed to ask, why not? But she has to stop first, you know, and then we'll can have a good discussion. And if we can't mm-hmm. come up with a good reason of why not, if it was just kind of like, a, well, because it's going to make the house messy, like that's not in my mind, not a really good reason. Or, you know, if it there, there's not a good reason that we can come up with or if it's going to be a because I said so, then I will call myself out and be like, you know what? You're right. That is something that you can do. I'm sorry. But she still has to stop and hear that discussion first. Yes. And I love that. That's great. And I think sometimes some people have, you know, someone, some parents who might be on the more disciplined side of things might think like independent kids, it's like kids just running around being a ruckus, but it's like, no, 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 that's, that's not how it goes. And I, and that's what we'll talk about. Some like kind of, I have three main things that I think can help raise an independent kid that is not kids just running around doing whatever, whatever they want. Cause that's, that's not how you raise an independent kid anyways. And I want to throw in a quote here because it's like mm. one of my favorites. It's from a genie in Aladdin says at Robin Williams and he, and it says great minds think alike. And then he goes, no great minds think for themselves. And it's like, I just, I love it. I can hear Robin Williams voice saying it. And I feel like that kind of like sums up a little bit of what we're kind of try, trying to come across here. So I want to throw that in before Andrea starts, uh, talking you know more into detail about this oh I love that so much I don't remember that I need to go watch Aladdin again (laughs) I haven't seen it a long time all right so I think there's three big things to raising an independent kid Um, number one just understanding what developmental appropriate independence is for your kid and where they are is really important I'm going to go into each one of these in detail Um, Two, setting up safe boundaries and a structure for a child to be independent within. And then three, just setting them up for success. So for number one, it's really easy to have like misconstrued ideas of what their appropriate independence is. So some people will really overshoot, like thinking that their kids can do way more Um, things independently and others will really undershoot and kind of, you know, continue to treat your kids like babies. And I did want to say in all the examples I'm using, I really am keeping to like toddlerhood and younger, but 
you can really extrapolate this all. It's just, this is where I am in my parenting journey. So that's what I'm going to talk about. Beth can pop in with more older kid stuff. Um, and I want to say you're going to make mistakes in this whole developmental independence thing of where they are. Like that just is comes with the territory and that's how you're going to figure it out. Like you're not going to get it right <clears throat> because you can't, you just don't know. <laughs> and that's okay. Like that's totally normal because it's not an age thing. It's not like, okay, they're 24 months old. Now they should be putting on their own shoes. Like it doesn't work like that. So you can get ideas from reading things and like looking online and what, you know, your kids should be able to do. But ultimately you're only going to know by trying to have them do it. Um, so examples of really overshooting independence is I, you know, I think you see it with sleep a lot. So it's like people wanted their newborns or really little babies to try to sleep through the night or sleep longer than they're capable of. It's not developmentally appropriate to have a newborn or, you know, three, four or five month old, um, to just sleep on their own. Like that's not part of what they're capable of at that point. Again, where the actual cutoff is, is I don't have a clear answer for that. It's different for everyone or every baby, but when we try to make babies sleep on their own too early, it really makes them feel unsafe in their environment. And, and it doesn't help foster that independence. In fact, it's going to make them more reliant on you and more nervous about sleeping on their own. In some cases, again, personality plays a huge role in this, right? There's going to be the kids who just do it and whatever. That's those kids. Um, <clears throat> but it's just being aware that that's not something that we should be able to expect our kids to do, just like we don't expect them, our baby to go and get their own bottle and feed themselves. You know, it's it's just not realistic. We can't do that. We have to feed them. We have to provide them with certain things when they're that little. Um, and then, you know, asking your toddler to dress himself before he's physically able, you know, and getting frustrated because they're putting on their shirt wrong or their pants wrong. And it's like, if they're just not motor developmentally re ready to do that, then it just leads to them getting frustrated. And then they're going to be, they're going to like lose confidence in themselves. It's, if it's something that's happening over and over, right? Like you ask them to do it once or twice or you're testing it out that's totally fine that's okay but if you're seeing they really are just getting frustrated and they just really can't do it you don't want it to turn into a battle just because you're you you think that they should be able to dress themselves by now for instance well and the other thing is they may actually be this is about <clears throat> this is something that we've come across they may actually be able to physically dress themselves mm -hmm. but kids don't understand time for quite mm -hmm a while. You know, the concept of time is very abstract. So expecting your child to be able to say like, hey, you have to get ready in the next 10 minutes and then walk away and expect that 10 minutes later your child is dressed and ready to go. That's rare. That's like a unicorn moment. Okay. So it's yes, they may be physically able to do that, but they might need some help. It might take them a little bit longer. They are going to get distracted by, oh, this toy. Hey, look, this underwear is fun today. Let me play with it. Like, just, just the, so you have to kind of pick and choose what, um, what part do you want to, you know, are they able to do? Like, you know what? Yes, they can pull their pants down and pull them back up by themselves. That's great. But I'm going to hand them to them piece by piece so it gets done in the time that I want to get them. So giving your child enough help, but but not too much. You have to find that balance. Mm -hmm. That is such a good point. I love that so much. Yes, absolutely. Huge difference between like, yeah, the physical ability and like, can they actually focus long enough to do the task on their own is two very, very different things. So yes, thank you, Beth. Um, and then... I also want to say that undershooting independence happens a lot. And I think I'm guilty of this more with Remy, if anything, than overshooting because, because he is so little for his age. 
And, you know, I just had like someone mistaken for a 13 month old and he's 22 months old and she was a mom of a two year old. (laughs) So, um, I think I definitely kind of baby him a little bit more and like underestimate what he can do because of that. So there's, you know, every now and then all of a sudden he like does it and I'm like, holy crap, I had no idea you could do that. And I wasn't like letting you do that. And so it's just catching that and it's totally, you know, okay. So the next time I know. So, you know, you might miss that your kiddo is totally capable of, you know, like this was one of the things I just like opened his shoe for him and he could just like put his foot in and he just had never done that before. And I was like, oh, wow. Hey, you can do that yourself. That's really cool. So now we're going to like work on that when we, when we're able to. And so when we're constantly doing things for our kids that they can do themselves, they kind of lose trust in their own abilities again. So either way, when you're overshooting or undershooting, they're going to lose confidence in themselves over time. Again, I just really want to emphasize it's not like a one-time thing and you've like ruined something. That's not the case at all. Absolutely. And I also want to make a note that even if they're at the age where they are able to like should be able to do something, they still have to be taught. Kids don't just learn how to tie their shoes. That's not just like this natural thing. Or they just, you know, most kids, you know, if they're your first child and they're not exposed to other children that are potty training, they don't all of a sudden just start like peeing and pooping on the potty. They have to be taught that this is, you know, the new thing that we do. They have to be taught how to use a fork. And that might be just, you know, giving them a fork with food on it and letting them figure out how to put it in their mouth and then kind of gradually going from there. But you can't expect like, oh, my child's too. They should now know how to use a fork, but they've never used one before. Here you go. And then just like walk away. So I think a lot of times we forget that while they can learn a lot on their own from like exploration and play, some of the more, um, I guess the things that are more routine for us that we do day to day, we kind of forget that they have been taught to us, like brushing our teeth and um, some of those kind of self-help things. So I, I just want people to remember, like, just because your child might be at an age or that you know that there's other kids that is your child's age that can do something, you may have to spend some time to teach them. And it may not take very long. And I, we, I come across this with uh, children with disabilities a lot, that they'll come in and it'll say, you know, my child can't do X, Y, or Z. Well, have you ever tried it with them? No, not not really. I just, they can't do it. And then they come in for a couple of sessions. We practice doing it. And all of a sudden they're able to do it. And it's like, that's called parenting. That's not <laughs> therapy so much. So it's just a reminder that, yeah, kids, some kids have to be taught a little bit more than others, but you have to show them first. And maybe it's by example. Maybe it's hand over hand. Maybe it's something else. But um giving them, helping them and letting, helping them be successful will then enable them to be confident in their independence. Totally. And I love that. I have the example right now of Remy still doesn't know how to drink from a cup properly, which like, I think kids should be able to do it like less than like six months old. I think my pediatrician was bugging me about it. And for whatever reason, I was just like, I don't know, at six months old, we tried a few times and like, it just was not, it did not seem developmentally appropriate for him. Like he just really was not, it was just leading to spills. It was leading to frustration. And I was like, he's going to freaking like, it cannot be this hard to drink from a cop. Like I'm just like, they'll learn it eventually. And so we kind of just like stopped it for a while and like forgot to like give him an open cup and he just had straws and whatnot. And so now I'm kind of going back to the open cup and the kid, poor kid still does not know how to drink from an open cup. He can pick it up and if the water's high enough, he's fine. But like, he can't, he like does not understand the concept of tilting his head back. 
And I've been doing it for him though. You know what I mean? I keep like lifting up the bottom of the cup thinking I'm showing it to him. But in the past like week, I'm like, I don't think I'm showing him. Like I think I'm just doing it for him. And in my head, I'm showing him how to do it. So it's something that I want to work on. But it's something that's so easy to be like, oh my God, like he should have known this a year ago. And like, what's wrong with him? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, what's wrong with him is that we like literally never really gave him the opportunity and I keep doing it for him. Like, that's why he doesn't know how dude, to do it. Dude, my four and a half year old, <laughs> we never give an open cup to, okay? I saw, okay. I have a friend who has an 18 month old who was walking around with an open cup of milk oh, God. and wasn't spilling it, okay? I give my four and a half year old an open cup like once every blue moon at the table. It almost like, let's say at least 50 to 75% of the time gets knocked over because, you know, you talked about it a while ago. Um, I forget exactly how you said it, but it was like, just because it's easy now, what's is, you know, you know, it might be harder now, but what's going to make it easier in the long run. And it was like, yeah, well, it's so much easier just to give her these straw cups and sippy cups and like all these cups that have you know, no spill lids. This is great. But it's really nice to just be able to be able to trust your kid with an open cup. So yeah, that is that is a total like, well, we just didn't expose her to it. So of course, she's not great at it. And I think just acknowledging that and like, I don't know, personally, I kind of feel like an open cup thing is something they're just gonna get to with time. Like, at a certain age, you just will have developed the motor skills to do it fine. You know, I don't feel like that's something that you've now like, oh my gosh, like you've missed this opportunity or this window. I feel like there's very few things that you like miss this window. I mean, I think it's like major things. Like if you're like literally carrying your baby all around and never letting them crawl and walk. Yeah. I think you can miss some pretty valuable windows, but even then you can still like always learn stuff. So just, yeah. Anyways, I think just being aware of what you've exposed your kid to, like Beth said, and have you even tried it with them is really important if you're comparing to what other kids can do. Because it might just be you. <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. Awesome. So the second one is you said safe mm-hmm. boundaries and structure, right? Yes. So safe boundaries and structure is crucial for independence, okay? And this is where I think some people miss that and think that, oh, to raise an independent kid, I have to just, like, let them do whatever they want or, like, their visions of this independent kid. So... I like to, you know, give an example. It's like, imagine you're in your own hometown and someone's like, all right, you just get to like walk around, explore. You get no phone, no map, like you get nothing and you can go do whatever you want. And, um, you know, but you have to be back by a certain time at a certain place and then you get a prize. I don't know, whatever. And then, so in that scenario, you're probably like super comfortable walking around like you could go explore like different nooks and crannies that maybe you've never seen like go down streets and like get really like you know see parts of your town that you never even knew about because you've lived there for however many years and then put yourself in like a huge new city you have no maps no phone it's a sketchy ass neighborhood and again you're supposed to like make it back to a certain that same point at a certain amount of time there's a good chance you're not going to explore very far Like, if you have no idea where you are, no idea about the neighborhood, it's, you feel uncomfortable in that neighborhood, we'll put it that way, so this isn't about, you know, you're just good at exploring, like, you feel, like, very uncomfortable there, you're probably not going to venture off, you're going to find something kind of safe and just stick there to it, because you're like, I'm not messing with this. And I think that's what new situations or unstructured things do for kids. They feel very unsafe. They're like, where the hell am I? What is going on? And so they're not going to venture off. They're not going to go explore. They're not going to try new things as much. 
because they don't want to venture away from their safety net. But when you have safe boundaries, again, you've created, you know, you have your whole safe hometown or your safe home or the safe kind of structure and routine that your kid has, then they can kind of venture off and go do and test boundaries and try new things within that. And like they can venture far away from you, you know, like let's say you're in your yard and you have a large yard, they can, they feel safe to go as far away as possible from you, you know, within these safe boundaries because they know they have limits and they know you're there and they know they can come back to you and, and, and be safe versus you just like stick them in a new park and they don't know what's going on. They're probably going to stick to you a little closer. <clears throat> so that's why having these structure and boundaries is really, really important because they'll feel safer and then they can go off and observe more and, and explore more. And they don't need to be necessarily <clears throat> a physical or like locational structure and boundaries. I think that that's a really great concrete example to hold on to. But I also think too, that, you know, there just needs to be something of comfort with them. So for instance, as kids get older and get more social, my daughter, if we are in a known place with new people, she's fine. If we are in a new place with known people she's also fine so like when her like she and her best friend like if we go to a new like playground together and they've never been there before but they know each other so they will go together and explore and they'll be safe together and kind of um independent together uh, not necessarily safe because they're totally rambunctious and i love it but <laughs> they're they are crazy uh together and but, you know, so so there just has to be a little bit of something of comfort and kind of knowing what, uh, like, what they can come back to. I think that we talked a little bit about sort of attachment and structure, you know, with the developmental appropriateness of, you know, okay, can a child sleep by themselves? Well, kids really need to be comfortable in knowing that you're going to, you know, if you drop them off somewhere, they need to be comfortable enough with knowing that you're going to come back and... Um, they, they need to be securely attached to their caregiver in order to feel comfortable and independent, you know, within that realm. So being a little bit more hands-on in the beginning is really important to develop that um, kind of boundary of like, hey, I'm here for you, even though I might not actually be in your presence. You know, it's like, okay, you're going to go explore this and I'll be back later, you know, if that's a safe thing, then they just need to be secure in that attachment or have a secure attachment somewhere within that. Totally. And I think I've talked before, I brought Remy to one of those, I can't even think it's called like the little gym. It's kind of like a gym thing. And, you know, I kind of had visions of him going in and like running around and playing with all these new toys. And he just sat there. And, you know, part of me was like, oh my gosh, like I want my kid to be exploring. I want him to be, you know, running around. I want him to be, doing all these things. And so it's like my almost first instinct was to kind of like egg him on and like be like, okay, go explore, go look around. But really that is going to do the exact opposite of my goal. And it seems, and that's where I think it can seem counterintuitive, but you know, to allow him to be independent or raise him to be independent, that meant me then sitting down with him and letting him just sit in my lap the whole time and like not doing anything because then he learns when we go to new places, I'm safe. You know, like mommy's still here, like we're still good. Whereas if I, every time he go to a new place, if I'm like, you know, forcing him to go try something new, I'm like putting him on a playscape and I'm like, you know, putting him in these situations that for me might be like, these seem super fun, but for him, it's probably scary. 
then he just learns when I'm in new places, like scary things happen to me and he's going to be even less likely to want to explore. And so it's, it can seem counterintuitive that to raise an independent kid being there and letting them kind of stick to you, especially again at that, like, um, you know, toddler age, like, you know, 12, 12 month age, I feel like is when they're like really clingy, 12 to 18 months. Um, like letting them cling, letting them do that is actually going to help their independence because they get to trust that you are there for them and they're going to trust that they can come back to you and that they're allowed to come back to you. And that is so important for independence. Um, and then the last one is, is just setting them up for success. So this is kind of a broad one and we've talked about some of it already in some of the other um, pieces. But I just had some things that I wanted to say that didn't quite fit neatly in their own category. So um Setting, obviously, boundaries is part of it. Setting up the routine is boundaries. Um, having developmentally appropriate expectations is all part of setting them up for success. Um, but other things are just learning about your kid. So for us, setting Remy up for success means allotting extra time in, like, a new place for him to just stand there or get to know it, especially if it's someplace where, like, a zoo where we want to, like, go around and see the animals. It's like if we're kind of going there, you know, rushed and have an agenda, like, it's not going to go well. He's not really going to enjoy it. And, um, and we're not going to enjoy it. And then part of it is us setting up our own expectations too. that. Okay. We, I might be driving out to this really fun new playground and it might mean Remy just sits there and just stares at the kids. And like, I have to be okay with that. Um, the other one is like allotting for the time. Like Beth said, like kids do not have a concept of time. And so if it's something that you want them to get better at putting on their shoes or jacket, when you're going out of the house, then like maybe doing it like, way earlier than you need to, you know, 30 minutes before you even need to leave or just getting it done so that way they're on and you can do everything else to get yourself ready because you can't always predict how long it's going to take. And the second you get into those consistent time crunches is when you start just doing things for your kids all the time and then they really never get to learn and then it becomes frustrating because it's like, why don't you know how to put your shoes on by now? Why can't you put your jacket on yourself? But it's like, well, mom, you literally never let me do it because you always do it for me. Um, and then allowing them to try out new things, even if they seem scary. So Beth was talking about her, you know, her kid playing rambunctiously. And it's like, I'm sure there is, you know, things where you're like, oh my gosh, my kid is climbing to the top of that. Should they be up there? And it's just kind of like making sure they're safe, obviously, but like letting them do those things where they might fall. They might, you know, whatever, spin off or fall off something. And it's just making sure they're, they're going to be safe enough, but letting it happen because that's the only way they're going to learn new things. If you're constantly behind them, catching them, supporting them, they're not going to learn how to support their own weight. They're not going to learn how to account when they do have a little slip and they need to catch themselves um, because you're always going to be there. So they'll actually, again, get worse at those things and not develop those motor skills. I love mm -hmm. all of that. I think the one thing that I want to add to kind of help sort of teach your child to think for themselves or to know that it's okay to think for themselves is to to give choices and you know for instance food you know giving being okay with get, you know several different choices but saying would you like this or this for instance so my daughter is like rebelled on chicken she used to love it it used to be her favorite thing she probably has gotten too much of it so she hasn't really wanted it so she asked for pork chops the other day because my parents were eating them well, I didn't have them, right? Like, I didn't just buy them at the store, right, knowing that she wanted, just going to randomly ask for them because we almost never eat them. So I bought them this weekend, and I made them. And, oh, my gosh, she ate their thin cut, but she ate an entire pork chop. 
like this kid who sometimes were like okay come on just just a few more bites and I really try not to like push the food thing like if you're full you're full but it's more like well you know you can have something sweet or dessert or whatever but I just need you to get a little more protein in first um so yeah so giving her that choice and all being like guess what we're having pork chops tonight and she's like oh my gosh thank you mommy I've always wanted them so funny um so so I think it's really important to give choices in a lot of different things even if it's you know do you want to go to you know maybe there's two different libraries go to maybe you say do you want to go to this library or that library you know give her that option and you know, as long, you know, be okay with those options. So that when the come time comes where you don't really have a choice, then it's like, well, I get it. She gets a choice a lot. So it's okay to just say like, hey, no, we're going here today. Or which playground do you want to go to today? And, you know, if you're lucky enough to have multiple playgrounds around or, you know, what pair of pants do you want to wear today? The simple things of dressing. I think that's something we've started really early on is letting my child dress herself, choose what she wanted to wear. And in choosing what she wants to wear, that actually gave her so much more independence of dressing herself because she got to pick it out. I was like, well, yeah, if you if you get yourself dressed, you can wear what you want. You know, we might add a coat or a pair of pants with that uh, sleeveless short dress that you're wearing just because it's 30 degrees out, but you can still wear it. Sure, I won't say no. Um, so I think it's really important to to give choices in, in a variety of ways to start fostering that independence. And you can start that really early. As soon as kids are starting to show preferences in, you know, food's one of the, the easiest things. But even toys like babies, it's like, you do want this toy or this toy. They're going to go for one or the other. And that can give them the ability to think for themselves. Be like, hmm, do I want the cup or the block? And... They may not always go for one or the other. And yeah, the choice doesn't matter. It's the ability for them to make the choice. And then the other thing that I wanted to add is is the importance of rewarding preferred behaviors. So as you get your kids get older and there starts to be behaviors that you're not a big fan of, the knee-jerk response is to like punish or discipline for the non-preferred behaviors. It doesn't work. And of course, like that's what you want to do in the short run, but really what's helpful is is rewarding those preferred behaviors. So if you're excited that your child, you know, let's say all these kids are coloring on a wall and you don't want to and your child's like, hey, mom, I don't really want to do that because I know that, you know, that's not okay. Give your child praise for that. Whatever your method of praise is, you know, it doesn't have to be like rainbows and unicorns or lollipops or toys or what have you, but but have a way for your child to know that, like, this was a good choice. Or, you know what, yeah, like, following everyone else may not have been the best. But, hey, you didn't do that. You, you, made, you made this choice, and, and I respect you for, for not going with the crowd for, for this thing. So I think that those are my two kind of big things is um, give, give choices when able and then rewarding rewarding your child for being an independent thinker even if it's something that you're not totally thrilled with the way that they came up with like sometimes there'll be uh something creative that my child will do and it'll be like so thoughtful but it'll just happen to be on something again like the wall that I don't really want or you know there'll be tiny little pieces of paper all over the floor but it's, you know, it's, I still want to reward the creativity and the independence in like coming up with the activity. So that's just something to think about. I love that. And I want to get picky about semantics. Sorry, Beth. 
Um, just because I think we talked about like the rewards and praise and stuff. And it actually, there's a lot of research that shows that when you reward a behavior, your kid's actually less likely to do it in the future. But from what Beth was actually like verbally saying, she, I think she's, she's talking about rewards a little bit differently. At least how I'm like, what, what, I don't know what you said was so different. It's not like, Oh, your kid chooses not to draw on a wall, give him a piece of chocolate and like, as like a reward or like, Oh, Hey, now you get to go do this. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of research that shows when you give, um, like even with food, that's like, okay, if you, oh, good job, you ate your vegetables, um, now you get this, and it's starting to turn into this more like bribe form. You're actually, the kids are like less likely to want to eat vegetables, and it becomes more of like a battle later on. So instead, maybe actually in that situation, it's like talking them through their choice. So it's like, oh, so it looks like you didn't want to, you know, paint on the, or draw on the wall when everyone else is like, why is that? And like kind of getting their reasoning behind it. Be like, oh, that seemed like a really good choice that you made. And like you acknowledging their choice versus like rewarding their choice, if that makes sense. And again, it's like a semantics thing. But when you're praising like, oh, that was a really, really good choice. I'm so, you know, so proud of you. Then you're putting your your value in. It teaches them that it's like their value is based upon their choice. So that means if they make a bad choice in a different scenario, which they will do because they're kids, then all of a sudden they've made a bad choice. And now it's like their self-worth is going to like be affected by that. And again, one time is not going to like do anything, but it's like over time, if they start to learn when I make good choices, I'm a good kid. And when I make bad choices, even if you're not saying it, it still has to mean that they're a bad kid. And so they'll internalize that. Um, again, even if you're not straight up saying it. So instead talking to them through their choice in either scenario. So let's say they did choose to draw on the wall. It's like talking them through that decision that they made and helping them understand why maybe they could have made a different decision instead or why, okay, well now mommy's going to have to clean that up. And that means that I'm not going to be able to have story time tonight because I'm going to be too busy cleaning it up. Um, rather than being like, you're a bad, you know, like, not that you would say that, but it's like, you're a bad kid. Like <laughs> that was a bad choice. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah. I was thinking more about the research with positive reinforcement versus negative reinforcement versus punishment. And, um, you know, and I don't know if the research has, you know, it's been a while since I, you know, that was in college that I did a, like mm-hmm. when I took some psychology courses that the positive reinforcement was so much more impactful in making a positive, in, in making a desired change than either the negative reinforcement or the punishment. So it is, but it make it takes away the internal motivation. So it, it makes it an external thing that they're doing. So they're doing, they're now making a choice or eating a vegetable or doing something because for, you know, that, you know, particular kid, oh, that's going to make mommy happy when I do that. But what it does or like what the research shows and like the, the kids is that then that also leaves it open for that thing to become a battle because then they know this is something that mommy cares about. And you know, does that make sense? And Absolutely. so, and I yeah, think we that, could, this is like probably a different topic. So we yeah. Could and I think that this comes way. a little bit down to kind of your child's innate personality because this is so passionate. You're very passionate about this because your personality is a rebel personality. So, so that, that's kind of your response, but you know, me as an obliger, yes, I respond very well to external um, sources. And I think you need to know your child to know, how they best respond because 
they're not all rebel personalities. Yes, mm-hmm. they may all seem a little bit like that between two and three, but um, they're they're they are not all of that. Like, oh well, if you tell me to do something, I'm gonna not do it. Kind of people. So I think that. Um, that it's important to know, you know, I think the bottom line of this is to to learn your child's habits and understanding and to be aware that, yes, um, rewarding a behavior can make them, you know, ultimately resistant to the, that behavior. I, I could see that um, and I definitely have experienced, um, you know, the... Uh, the hey you know yes eat your vegetables eat your vegetables oh wait now but wait you have to tell me to eat my vegetables like I totally 100% see that so I think that's um the other important thing is that it doesn't necessarily um it's the amount of feedback that you give that that matters almost more that 100% feedback is actually the worst so if you 100% of the time say like oh my god you did that that's great then it's gonna it loses its like awesomeness. So if you say it, you know, occasionally and free, you know, infrequently, kind of sporadically or randomly, then it's like, oh, you know, sometimes I do it for me, but hey, once in a while I get like a pat on the back for that. So I think that um, that's a really important kind of thing. And maybe we'll talk about um, types of reward and feedback and um, that kind of thing next week. Does that sound? Yeah, that sounds good. I was going to say we could totally talk way more about that um, because I think that'd be interesting for sure. Yeah, I love it. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us today. Follow us on social media for news, updates, and calls for questions. You can find me, Beth, at Feeds of Real Eats and Andrea at Dr. Andrea Moore on Instagram and Facebook. Please subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode and write us a review. Show notes for this episode and all podcast-related information can be found at realmomsreallife.com.